Welcome to episode number 79, A World Between, part one, medication and treatment with intermittent and temporary mental illness. I'm your host, Damon Soka. You may have already noticed, but I divided this topic into two sections. I felt that the information was just far too important to cut down to just one podcast. Now, I hope that you enjoy them, and if you do, please pass them along. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know how podcasting works, and certainly that is not going to be my topic today. But it did lead me to something that I have not discussed, and that is actually probably very important in the subject of mental illness. Now, as a podcaster, I receive statistics from downloads. Nothing personal in any way, really just what was downloaded in a basic area of the country or city and world where the podcast was downloaded. So I really just get numbers of downloads and basically a city. One of the most downloaded podcast episodes over the past six to eight months has been the episode entitled A World Between Intermittent or Temporary Mental Illness. Now this tells me that you, my audience, is more interested with this topic than perhaps others. The initial podcast was broad-ranging, and in retrospect may not have been as much help as some of you might have hoped. My intent today is to broaden my scope and to provide greater depth regarding what to do when you have this type of mental illness concern. Thus, you will see the two episodes. Now, the world of mental illness is broad and troubling in many ways. When we talk about the statistics of mental illness, we generally talk about the moderate to severe cases of the illness and those that are more easily diagnosed. Now, these are known as serious mental illness cases, and these occur in about one out of every 10 people in the U.S. and likely the world. If you broaden the range of the illness to include mild to moderate and more temporary instances of the illness, it jumps to two out of 10. Now, that is a significant jump. It means that half of all individuals who experience mental illness experience more mild or temporary versions of the illness. Now, to find yourself in this no-man's land between a clinical statistical side of depression and anxiety in just a normal bad week or month is really bewildering and defeating when it comes to information and treatment. It is troubling, actually, in a number of ways, including greater difficulty in diagnosing the issue. There are really decreased treatment and treatment options. There is little to no information specifically for a mild or temporary episode, and simply far more confusion about what to do when it happens. Now, and then to discover that this more temporary or milder form of the illness is really impairing your life in various ways, and you can't seem to get what you need, can almost be frightening. So many questions with so few answers come to the surface. Now, is this going to develop into something more serious and life-altering? And is there anything I can do to stop its progress? Is it just temporary? And does temporary just mean that I will eventually develop a long-term mental illness? Now, even if it is just temporary, what can I do to treat or medicate it? Because it's causing serious effects in my life. Sure, your case might be more mild than others, and it might only last a few months at a time, but a few months is long enough to cause significant damage to my career, my relationships, and my physical health. What can I really do to remediate it until the illnesses subside or I figure it out? How do you even know if it's a temporary mental illness? And where do you even start? Now, if you started wondering about mental illness as your problem in this more temporary form and wondering about the questions I asked, then there are some things that actually I probably already know about you. 
While this is not true for everyone, for the most part and the majority, many of these conditions will exist when someone is experiencing a mild to moderate case of mental illness or even a more temporary case of the illness. The first thing that I really know about you is you have probably already sought out some type of medical help to understand what is happening. <clears throat> you have had persistence symptoms for a period of time, and while they are a little bit vague, they are impacting your life. There are things like consistent lethargy, sleeplessness and insomnia, lack of energy, lack of libido, lack of desire to do things you used to love to do. You might have persistent anxious thoughts or increasingly persistent anxious, anxious thought patterns. You don't want to go places you used to go. You get anxious when you have to leave the house. Find yourself obsessing when somebody doesn't arrive on time. You worry more than you used to. You worry about loved ones being taken from you. You lack perhaps desire in your career. Work is more than drudgery, but has become a place where you just simply don't want to go. You might be having consistent digestive problems, headaches, muscle aches, and feel like you just can't catch up with life. Feel like you have mono. Now, I could go on, but what I do know about you is that something has changed in your life that you have actually noticed, and it is altering your behavior such that you are now seeking answers. Now, you've likely gone to the doctor and had your blood drawn, perhaps more than once, and perhaps with more than one doctor, and discussed vitamin D, vitamin B, eating better, exercising, sleeping better, and you even might have been given some medications to help with a variety of the physical concerns I just mentioned. I also know that you've probably tried other remedies, from yoga to alternative medicine, and everything perhaps in between. You are starting to feel like you have exhausted your options and don't really know what to do. Now, you likely have at least one or several stressful life events occurring in your life right now, and you are also likely to have experienced at least some type of significant relationship loss or trauma in the last few years, although that is not always the case. What I also know is that while some of what you've done has worked for a time, the mental illness has returned in some form. You feel as though you're stuck and you really just can't seem to get out of it. So what do you do when you come to this point of exhaustion and frustration? You start to think that you may have a more temporary mental illness concern. First of all, don't panic thinking you might have a mental illness. Mental illness is not a death sentence and can be very manageable, especially to the to, in the mild to temporary cases. Also, if you're thinking about mental illness, that's a good sign. There still exists a determined social stigma, and that includes the church social circles, surrounding the idea of having a mental illness. So even the acceptance that you might have a temporary mental illness is a good sign. In point of fact, it is the one thing that you really need to be able to treat the illness. Acceptance that you might have some mild form of temporary illness is a large step to getting to the treatment you need. Now I want to assure you before we get too far into this episode that mental illness in its more mild form is not a trivial thing. I do not believe it to be a trivial, trivial thing, but in the same breath that this form of illness is actually very treatable and very manageable to the point that you might be able to entirely rid, it of your, rid yourself of the illness. Now, the milder form of the illness can come through genetics, but I believe that actually is probably rare. It is far more often caused by external forces weighing on your mental and emotional capacity. So where do you start? Well, the best place to start is a big is beginning a list of concerns. 
So as you start down this road of finding a solution that works, you're going to make three columns. The first column is going to be your symptoms. What are the symptoms affecting your life? Is it lack of energy, lack of desire, irritability, digestive issues, headaches, anxious feelings, depressive feelings, no feelings at all, foggy brain, and so forth. Now, you may also include symptoms that you don't think relate, but are causing issues. You will then need to mark those that are causing you to adjust your behavior or to feel differently that in turn also adjusts your behavior. This can be difficult because of trying to evaluate oneself is problematic. And you might take a couple of days really narrowing it down. You don't need to have a very you don't have, need to have very specific things like a headache in the right front lobe of your brain, but some things are important to note when you note these symptoms, such as timing. When do you have the symptoms and when do you not have them? Time and location actually can be important to the illness, especially the temporary illness. In the second column, you need to clarify, you need to identify those things in your life causing serious stress. Is it children? Is it divorce? Is it work? Is it church activities, finance, weather, or even a combination of those factors? When you think about the stress factors, try to include specific relationships with specific individuals and don't hold back because you love them. Whatever these are, you are going to start, you're going to star the top two or three of these stresses in your life. Now, in the third column, note any recent, and that may mean within the last few years recent, traumatic events that may have happened. It doesn't have to be a car wreck or a near-death experience. It could be something as simple as a broken leg, a death of a pet, even a death of a relative, a loss of ability to do something, an onset of an illness such as arthritis, cancer, loss of a job or career, and it can even be unresolved grievances or sin. Really what you're looking for are those events that may have caused you high levels of stress for a period of time. You may even have to talk to a friend or someone close to you, close to you about these questions. Note, star any of the events for which you still feel emotions or have poignant memories. Finally, this doesn't need to be a column, but you should note if anyone in your family has had mental health issues. While mental health is not entirely a genetic condition, and many times it has nothing to do with your genes, science has found strong connections with genetics and family traits. It is something to keep in the back of your mind. It doesn't mean that you will have a mental illness or that your mental illness is some type of genetic predisposition, but it can explain why you get, why, when you get under stress, serious stress, that mental illness appears. Now, this assessment is incredibly important. If you are having mental health issues, even temporary ones, there will be causes. And yes, that is plural. Most of the time, a more temporary mental illness has a few causes that multiply upon you and then induce the symptoms. Now, you can do the same thing with a therapist, as they are good at extracting the issues, and I do recommend it. But I also understand any hesitancy to do so. The social perception is that you must have something seriously wrong with you to see a counselor. Now, that really isn't true, but it's deeply embedded in our society, so much so that the majority of individuals will not seek out a counselor. In any case, once you've made your list of identifiable concerns of symptoms, stresses, and past events, you can really begin the work, really begin to work through the process of addressing those concerns. Now, you may make may take two or three days to make this list. Just make it as comprehensive as you can. Before we get started with your list, I am going to already assume that you have addressed any physical concerns with a doctor. 
Many symptoms of mental illness are also symptoms of physical problems that need to be addressed. If you haven't seen a doctor yet, that is probably the best place to start, just to make sure there are no physical concerns. You will need to address any physical concerns before moving too far into the mental illness concerns. And again, before I get too far into the discussion of possible methods of treatment, understand that what I tell you comes from my experience and others' experiences, not some clinical or medical degree. I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist. If you are having serious thoughts of suicide or self-harm, if you are involved with non-prescription or illegal drug abuse or alcohol, you need professional help. If you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, your bishop will have a list of counselors you can use who understand the doctrines of the church and how best to address serious concerns with members. Understand that the bishop is not going to betray your confidences, and I can promise you, having been there as a bishop, that he will not look down upon your weakness and difficulty. I found myself as a bishop having the calling entirely engulfed in empathy and finding the best possible solutions to the problem. If you are not a member of the church, you actually can still use the bishops of the church in your area to find good counselors. Now, if you are having these serious issues in your life, the one thing I tell you is that you need help. You will not be able to fix these serious issues on your own, even though your mind might tell you so, that you can't. If you can't bring yourself to make appointments and find the help, tell someone who can do it for you. Today, I am not addressing those serious cases of mental illness where help is required to save life. Today is about the world between whatever you call normal and those more serious cases. Something important to understand about mental illness is that it is not just some type of long-term chemical imbalance. It is the body's method of saying, I have something I need you to address. I realize that some individuals do not want to call what they have a mental illness or depression or anxiety. And while I personally would love to see more openness about mental illness and addressing temporal mental illness in the public view, I fully understand the social consequences, having experienced them over a number of years. If you want to address it as a stress or your own personal problem or something similar, I completely understand. So returning to those list of symptoms, stresses, and trauma. If you can identify a top two or three in each of the categories, those are the ones you should start to work with to overcome. These are the things that when you talk about them or review them in your mind, cause the greatest levels of emotional stress. These are likely the things you need to address to reduce your symptoms or even completely remove your symptoms. Now, each of us is going to have a very different list, and I'm not going to be able to tell you how to treat every one of the issues, but I can give you some strategies to address the concerns. I believe the best way to address these issues is to put them into three categories. The first is, I have no control or had no control over the events. The second is, I have had or have some limited control over the events. And third is, of course, I have full control over everything. Now, the first category is going to be things such as like a pandemic, a death of a relative, a death of a pet, events such as being an innocent victim in abuse, car wreck, or really any event that happened or happens to you, even if your timing or location was involved in the event. Now, speaking of something like an accident, while you have control over when you entered the intersection and when you left your house, you really did not have control over the accident. Had you known that you were going to get into the accident, then you wouldn't have gone as early or waited a little longer at the light. Just because the event was about timing, 
doesn't mean that it was in it, that it was under your control. The same is true in some senses about being an innocent victim of abuse, especially when young. Sure, you had the ability to tell someone or not be in that place or time, but the reality is, if you look at it, that you had really no control over the situation. Now, the second type of event is the most common and represents the majority of life's issues and mental illness. You have some control over the event or stress in your life. Let's say, for instance, you are a student, and while you have control over the number of classes you take and what classes you take, the level of intensity might not be something to which you have control. Now, every type of relationship is going to fall into this category of limited um, limited events, limited control over events. Um, and uh, your, so every type of relationship falls into that category. You know, everything where we are interacting with the environment or another individual. Many, if not most, of the temporary mental illness conditions in our lives come about due to interpersonal relationships and the stress found in the starting of them, the maintaining of them, and of course, when they break down for whatever reason. Now, the third category or total control is the things that you eat, whether you exercise, your sleeping habits, and your habits in general. And now this could even include coping mechanisms. Now, given those three categories of control, let's really kind of start with the first category and how we go about treating this type of condition where there is no control. We are certainly not going to have any control over various events that come into our lives. Our current pandemic is really a very good example. We have only our ability to control our reaction to the event or possible event. Now, anxiety generally accompanies these events over which we have no control. And the illness is often about possible events in our lives and the negative outcomes of possible events. Now, anxiety exists on a spectrum, like almost every other mental illness. You can certainly have intermittent anxiety based on world, country, or community events. If you've had a serious negative outcome based on a past event over which you had no control, then you might find that you developed some serious anxiety because of it. I always think of abuse or accidents and how individuals develop serious anxiety through these traumatic events. Even if you've had no traumatic events, but were under a serious level of stress for an extended period of time where a traumatic event may occur, such as a soldier in the field, serious anxieties can develop. A soldier in the field who never fired his gun, never went to war, can develop very serious levels of anxiety which we refer to as PTSD. And it was not about seeing serious war, but about the level of stress placed upon them by simply living and working in a high stress or perceived high danger area or location. Now understand that life events that cause these high levels of extended stress and serious negative outcomes may and often do cause a variety of mental illness concerns. And it doesn't just have to be mental anxiety issues or PTSD or depression. As I have said before, our brains avoid negative outcomes with everything it can do to keep you from them. This does lead to temporary or more moderate issues with mental health. Mental health, And yes, it can lead to more serious concerns. Now, I know that I discussed a battlefield, but understand that a high school student who just hears about a shooting in a nearby high school or has seen several on the news, 
can actually develop serious anxiety about attending school. This can multiply if the student actually knows people at the affected high school, it happened at their school, or any number of other conditions that places the student closer to the event. In the category of no control, mental illness could be limited to locations as well, such as a specific school, all schools, a specific person, or type of people, or cities, or even time frames during the day or night. In other words, your mental illness is temporary to a person, a time frame, or a location. Now, how do you address this first category? One of the main issues with this category is the loss of control that the brain feels. As much as we know our life is not under our control, our brain does some wonderful magic in that it ignores most of it. What it does allow under normal circumstances are those events so remote that it can simply ignore them by statistics. Our brain allows us to feel safe and in control of our environment and our situation. And we need this as human beings living in a complex society with many, many unknowns. This brain simply cannot handle one unknown, much less many unknowns. We have to be able to ignore the possible negative outcomes over which we have no control to feel a level of security, love, and peace in our lives. Now generally, and I speak generally, our minds do a good job of this until something happens that changes our perspective and flips the, what I might call the anxiety switch in the mind. Then the mind needs to address the perceived unknown danger. Ignoring it is not likely to let it, to make it go away. There are many methods to addressing uncontrollable events and any mental concerns that go with them. Sometimes it's a matter of slowly introducing things into our lives that retrains our brain, that the event is very unlikely to happen. This is something akin to a step closer to the railing at a very tall building over a period of weeks when you have a serious fear of heights. It's just about a slow introduction. At other times, learning good coping mechanisms like meditation and breathing techniques can be valuable. Of course, therapy is very good at teaching these types of treatments. And as I have discussed, this might not be an option for you. I do recommend these options and learning them by whatever means you can to help with this type of mental illness. Now, given that my audience are generally members of the Church of Jesus Christ or believe in God, we can address these large concerns with the Father and ask for help to overcome them and asking, and asking for help to see the Father's protecting hand in our lives. Many times, these issue, types of issues can be erased or removed by understanding just how involved the Lord is in our lives and that if we work to keep within the commandments and the guidelines he has set, he will protect us from these types of unknown events out of our control. Now, due to the length and time, I'm going to pause at this point and move on to the second episode. The next episode is going to start with the idea of medication as one of the options for the no-control category, but I'm really going to talk about it from all of the categories. I want to address medication in one piece, as this is one of the most controversial and perhaps helpful things we can do. Now, I do want to finish this episode with the idea that while I might make all of this analysis and treatment options sound easy, I know that it will not be. Dealing with emotional and mental issues has never been easy, and you are likely to need some help. So it would not be a bad idea to get that person or persons who will be helping you to listen to these two podcasts as well. Keep up the faith and do your part, and the Lord will do his. We'll talk to you in the next episode.